Chapter 24, Luke 24. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to finish up our study here in the book of Luke. And as we continue through this, it's been a wonderful, blessed study, and I hope you're blessed by it as well. If you weren't with us last week, last week we had the wonderful story of the disciples walking in the road to Emmaus and Jesus walking with them. They did not know who Christ was at that time, and they were talking about Jesus and what had happened. And there was these wonderful points that came out of that. If you look back, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is verse 32, where it says, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? And we talked about how it is important to have worship and service and fellowship and prayer. All those things are vitally important. But spending time in the word with Jesus, walking with him, that will make your heart burn for him. And as your heart burns for him, you desire more and more of him. And we mentioned how if you're feeling a little dry spiritually, are you walking with Christ? Are you spending time with him in the word? And as you're in the word, that grows you. So that's what we talked about last week. So we left off with the disciples, those two disciples, realizing who Jesus was. They ran back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the disciples, verse 35, and they told about those things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So that's where we left off last week. So picking it up right there, the disciples are telling the other disciples about Jesus, and they saw him, and they're walking with him. Verse 36, now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit, or some translations, a ghost. Now, I don't know about you. If I was in a room talking to people, and Jesus appeared and said, Howdy, I'd probably be a little scared myself as well. But there's this wording that we have to look at here in verse 37. Terrified and frightened. Terrified and frightened. We have to understand that the response to Christ is verse 36, peace to you. That's his response. That's what Jesus wants to do. Now, I think this is important. Normally, I don't have you turn to just one verse, but I think it's important to go to this. If you can go with me to John 14, please. John 14. What we're going to see is this. Either this week, you yourself will run into fear and tribulation, worry, and anxiety, and you will not have peace. Or you will run into a loved one that has fear, worry, tribulation, anxiety, and lack of peace. You will either quote these verses to yourself, or you will quote these verses to others. There's two wonderful verses. I probably quote these verses more than any other about the simplicity of Jesus bringing peace. Look at John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That word for troubled is the exact same word that we just studied in Luke 24. Jesus says, I come to give you peace. Stay in John. Jump ahead to John 16, please. John 16. Look at verse 33. John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So you will have trouble and you will have tribulation. Jesus said it will happen. As Christians, let's not be shocked when we face trouble and tribulation. Some of you came into this morning suffering trouble and tribulation. God wants to bring you peace. Some of you will suffer trouble and tribulation this world and this week. God wants to give you peace. Mark those verses, John 14, 27 and John 16, 33. He wants to give you peace in the time of trouble. And how does he do it? Well, this is where it gets interesting. We've got two stories here on how Christ gives peace during a storm. First one's in Mark. Mark chapter 4, please. Mark 4. 
What you see here in Mark chapter 4 is the disciples being battered by a storm. Mark 4, pick it up here in verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Verse 36 of Mark 4. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as it was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beating into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now let's just look at this for a second. They're in a boat, verse 37. The waves are beating against the boat. The boat is filling with water. And what's Jesus doing, verse 38? He is sound asleep. Does that not ever describe your life sometimes? Your little boat of life is getting battered by the wind and the waves of the world. It's filling with water. And you cry out to Christ. And you really feel like Christ is just sound asleep and not even hearing you. So what do they do? Verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They wake him up. And what's his response? Verse 39, peace, be still. There's that word again, peace. See, this is what happens. When the boat of your life starts filling with water, starts getting battered by the waves, what does Jesus want to do? He wants to bring peace. How simple is that? What does he say in verse 40? But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? See, he wants to take away fear and replace it with peace. One of the things I always tell people out here at church is if they're getting worked up about things, I'll say you're walking in fear, not faith. When you walk in fear, your boat fills with water, the waves batter you, Jesus is asleep, I pray, there's no answer, he doesn't care. You're walking in fear, not faith. Because he is there, he does care. And what does he want to say in verse 39? He wants to say, peace. Whatever trouble you're facing now or will face, Jesus wants to take all that fear, all that worry, all that anxiety, all that trouble, all that frustration, and he wants to replace it with peace. He does. Why is Jesus sleeping? He's not sleeping because he doesn't care. He's sleeping because he's not worried. He has no worries. So there's a storm. If as long as you're in the same boat as Jesus, you are not going to sink. Now, if I was in a different boat and Jesus was not in that boat... I'd be freaking out. But the boat that Jesus is in is never going to sink. As long as you choose to ride in that same boat as Christ, your life is never going to sink. It's not. Too many times as Christians, I see them in the boat with Jesus, and they're walking in fear, worry, and anxiety. Why? You're in the same boat as Jesus. He will not let it sink. Let's go one more story on this. Jump to the left, Matthew. Matthew 14, one more story. This is the very famous one of Peter walking on the water, but there's some good points in here. Go to Matthew 14, please. We will have tribulation. We will have trouble. But Jesus says, I want to give you peace. The boat that we ride in in life will fill with water. The waves will batter it. But Jesus says, I want to give you peace. As long as we're with him in that boat, it will not sink. Matthew 14. Verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, there's our word again, saying, it is a ghost. 
and they cried out for fear. And there's our word again, trouble and fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Look at his response again. Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. He doesn't yell at them, he doesn't scream at them, he doesn't. Too often we picture God as just being angry and upset at us when we walk in fear or worry or anxiety. When we walk in fear, worry, anxiety, he wants to pull us out of that and replace it with peace. That's why he says, it is I, do not be afraid. That's why he says, be of good cheer. That's why he says, do not let your heart be troubled. He wants to take away the fear, the worry, the anxiety, and replace it with peace. That's what he wants to do because he loves us and he cares for us. We've convinced ourselves that God's just angry. He's angry at us. No. He hates sin, but he sure loves us. Look at this, verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Now, we have taught on verse 30 many times before. When you keep your eyes on Jesus, you can walk on the water. When you take your eyes off Christ, you're going to sink. It's really that simple. When you are facing a problem this week, if you keep your eyes on Jesus... You will walk on the water and God will get you through it. It will still rain on you. The waves will still beat against your boat and your boat may fill with some water. But you will walk on water and not sink. When you take your eyes off Christ and what happens is you look down, verse 30. He saw the wind was boisterous. He let fear get the best of him, verse 30. You will sink. That's what happens. I've seen people walk in victory for a very long time. Then they let fear, worry, and anxiety get the best of them and they begin to sink does not work. What does Christ do when we sink? Verse 31, immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Doesn't yell at him. Doesn't scream at him. Not angry. He wants to help them. See, so often we walk in fear of the response of Jesus to us where Jesus really just wants to help us. See, fear is powerful. Fear is powerful for us to bring ourselves down spiritually, fear is also a powerful tool to use. Let me explain that real quick. Because Jesus could have used fear here. He could have yelled. He could have screamed. He could have done the power of God to make Peter be obedient. Instead, he just wanted to help him. Our fourth son, Layden, is going to be four here in about a month. Layden is a very fun little boy, but he is a difficult little boy. And so what was happening is Layden was getting out of hand at home. He was kind of being a bully to some of the other boys. He was just not sitting. I mean, just all this list of stuff. So we decided that we were going to get firm with Layden. And that's what we ended up doing. We got very firm with him. We didn't allow him to get out of hand. We corrected immediately. We disciplined immediately. We really were training him. And he was responding to a very firm hand. And this happened a couple weeks ago. The boys were eating ice cream, and Layden asked if he could have chocolate syrup. We said, sure. Layden goes to the refrigerator, get out the chocolate syrup. He looks down on the bottom shelf, and somebody had put the chocolate syrup away, forgot to put the cap on it, and it fell over, and now the bottom shelf is completely covered in chocolate syrup. No big deal. Life goes on, not worth getting upset about. I wasn't in there when this happened. Dawn was in there, so it kind of became this joke of the chocolate syrup being on the bottom of the thing. So I walk into the kitchen. Layden's the one that discovered this. Layden didn't do it. He discovered it. So I walk in, and I'm the heavy at home a lot of the times. Not that Dawn isn't, but I'm the heavy a lot of the time at home. So I walk in the kitchen, and Dawn says to Layden, tell Daddy what happened. 
Laban immediately went and ran behind Dawn and hid from me. He was completely scared. He was completely scared because the, what happened to our relationship was it now become a relationship of fear. It's dad. See, it was funny that the chocolate syrup spilled. It's a mess. We'll clean it up. But now all of a sudden dad's there. Dad's going to be angry. Dad's going to be upset. Because why? Because the way I started parenting him was firm. I was using fear. See, here's the thing. I can make my boys be obedient. I just follow them all day barking at them. They will be obedient. I can instill fear into my kids and they will obey everything I say because they are afraid of me. Eventually, they're going to reach a point where, guess what? They're not afraid of my words anymore. They're not afraid of my loud voice. They're not afraid of me in any way whatsoever. Fear is not a way to train people. It's not. I see people use fear with their kids. And yes, their kids are obedient. But there's not a relationship. I see people use fear in their relationships with spouses and others. You will listen to me. Yes, I will, but I will not like you in any way whatsoever. That is not a relationship. Jesus could have, in Luke 24, used fear. He shows up out of the blue, comes into the room. He could have used fear and said, now, come on, you guys. I told you that this was going to happen. He didn't. He says, peace. He could have used fear in Mark, where he showed up at the boat. The boat was sinking. He could have snapped at him and said, why would you wake me up? Come on, you idiots. You know the boat's not going to sink with me in it. He didn't. He could have used fear here in Matthew 14 when Peter started sinking and grabbed him and said, come on. He didn't. Jesus does not use fear to take us deeper in him. He does not use fear to make us grow closer to him. So why is it as humans do we use fear with our children, with our spouses, with our loved ones? No. You really want to build a relationship? Love them. I'm not saying accept the wrong. I'm not saying ignore sin. That has to be dealt with, but love them. So what we started doing with Layden, I realized, yes, he was obeying me. He was doing it out of fear. So immediately there we stopped. Started totally changing it. Now what we do is just spend more time with him. Layden, do you want to read books? Do you want to sit down? And what we see now is this different kid being obeying more. Now he may at this 10 o'clock service be a running banshee back there. I have no idea. But, because he's not with me, because he'll obey me, you see... But love, love really carried a lot more. I see that with Jesus. When he just loves us and just says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Wow. That, that makes me want to go to him. I'm not scared to go to Jesus. I'm not walking in fear of Jesus. Because when I sin, he forgives me. When I'm troubled, he brings me peace. When I'm worried or anxious or fearful, he's there and he wants to help that's the beauty of the relationship with Christ. So here they are, terrified, frightened, afraid, fearful. And Jesus just keeps saying, peace, peace. Jump back to Luke 24, please. So verse 38, he said to him, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Guys, don't walk in doubt. As long as you're in the boat with Jesus, you're not going to sink. Verse 39, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you have any food in here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. I love that. That's the first example of comfort food in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with eating if you're scared. Why not? That's what Jesus did. Actually, on a deeper level, the reason he ate is to show that he is not a spirit. He's not a ghost. This is not just some spirit that raised from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead physically. Now, that's important. 
That's very important. Because if Jesus rose from the dead physically, it showed that he defeated death. It showed that God the Father accepted his sacrifice. It shows that you and I, right now, can be free from death. Because Christ defeated death. So why is he eating? He's eating to show that here he is, completely alive. What a beautiful thing that is. Verse 44, then he said to him, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the scriptures. Thus he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is kind of what we talked about last week a little bit. When he was walking on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples, the Bible said that he started in Moses and preached Jesus to them. You see the same thing here in verse 44. Moses, the prophets, and Psalms. It's being in the Word. I cannot stress that to you enough. As we mentioned at the beginning of this message, why did their heart burn within them? Because they listened to the scriptures being explained. That is what's going to grow you. And I will just make a quick mention of this. Last week we handed out a handout back there about reading and understanding God's word. Because there's usually a lot of reasons why we don't. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I read it. I don't like it. It doesn't apply to me. I encourage you, take that handout. It's written by a man by the name of John Corson. It's wonderful. Take that. If you're struggling with reading the Word and getting anything out of it, take that home and study that as well. So he teaches them. He preaches to them that they may comprehend in verses 46 and 47. What does he want them to know? That Jesus must die for our sins. That's what it is, verse 47. That we can have repentance and remission of sins. That's the message. Boy, we have lost that message in church, haven't we? We're afraid to mention sin. We're afraid to mention hell. People are dying. We need to make sure that we understand and preach and teach that Christ is the answer to sin. So what do we do with that? Verse 48. And you are witnesses of these things. I think it's important to look at this word, verse 48, witnesses. We use this term a lot in Christianity. You witness to people. That means you tell them about Jesus. It's really interesting. If you study out this word witness, it does not mean what we use it all the time. We throw it around all the time. Hey, did you get a chance to witness to anybody? Hey, I witnessed to somebody this week. What's it really mean? If you look in the Bible, there's numerous things that you can do when it comes to telling people about Jesus. One term is I can correct. We can teach. We can rebuke. We can admonish. We can witness. And we can evangelize. There's six things that you can do. Evangelize is the one we know the most. That's where you proclaim Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, and do you want to know Jesus? An evangelist. That's great. Teach, that's what we're doing right now. We're taking time on Sunday morning and we're teaching through the book of Luke. Apply it to your life and go from there. That leaves four things left. Correct, rebuke, and admonish. Correct. I see you doing something that you shouldn't be doing. I come to you in love very nicely and say, Hey, I'm concerned that this action that you're doing is going to cause you harm. So I want to show you what God says to do. I'm going to correct you in that manner, show you the right way to do it, the right way to live your life, and it's a correction. Admonishment means to warn. That's where I would go to you and say, listen, I see some things in your life. I'm concerned about it. Hey, keep these things in prayer. Be careful because these things could cause you harm. I'm warning you. Rebuke. Rebuke's the, the tough one. Rebuke is, you're wrong. I love you, but you're wrong. And I'm just telling you, what you're doing right now is going to cause harm to you and harm to others, and you need to stop immediately. I rebuke you. It's not fun to rebuke somebody. I enjoy teaching. 
I enjoy evangelizing. It's not really fun to admonish people. Correcting is not bad because sometimes you see their eyes open and they're like, oh, I get it now. But now we're left with witness. What's it mean to witness? The word witness literally means to testify. That's why we use it in our court system. We're a witness. When you witness, you're just telling about Jesus. This is the one that we should be doing the most, and we actually do it the least. Witness is so simple. It'd be like if you and I were just talking after church, and I said, hey, i got to tell you something. Guess what Dawn did this week? She said something that was so funny. Let me tell you about it. Or let me tell you about my kids. Oh, boy, Elias did something this week. I want to tell you about it. I'm witnessing. I'm just testifying of something that happened in my life. So when I witness for Jesus, it's really simple. I just run into somebody and I say, hey, guess what? You won't believe what happened. I'd really been struggling with fill in the blank, finances. I really was struggling with finances. And guess what the Lord did this week? He stepped in and miraculously provided for me. I just witnessed. That's what it is. Or maybe it's, you know what? I was reading the other day in the Bible, and I just read this story about Peter walking on water and him sinking and Jesus coming out and grabbing him. And that's what the Lord wants to do for you and I. He wants to help us. That's witnessing. It's just telling what Jesus has done. Now, here's the problem. I run into some Christians. And if you ask them, do you witness? Oh, yes, we witness all the time. Now, if you watch them, they're not witnessing. Oh, they're correcting, they're admonishing, and they're rebuking. They got those things down. But there's no witnessing going on in any way whatsoever. They sure got rebuke down. They sure got admonishment down. They sure got correct down. But they're not witnessing about the Lord. I see people come up to me a lot, and they have an unsaved loved one or friend, and they really want them to know Christ. So you ask them, are you witnessing to him? Oh, I witness every time I see him. I tell him he's going to hell. Every single time. Okay, you got rebuked down really good. That's, that's great. Are you witnessing to him? You bet I'm witnessing to him. I warn him every time that what he's doing is wrong. Okay, now you got admonishment down. Are you witnessing? They don't get it. Are you just telling them what Jesus is doing in your life? Well, that's not gonna... Yeah, it is. That's witnessing. That's just saying, hey, you won't believe the other day what we did at church, what we studied. Boom, boom, boom. You witnessed. Well, but you didn't proclaim that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Okay, that's evangelism. That's good. Do that. But Jesus is telling them right now, just be witnesses for me. Just go tell people what I've done in your life and what you've seen me do, and you'll be amazed at the fruit that comes out of this. And this is just not a one-verse command. Jump ahead real quick to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 8 in Acts 1. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses. Just go tell people about Jesus. See, I think we get intimidated by evangelism. We get intimidated by, oh, I don't want to rebuke anybody. I don't want to correct anybody. I don't want to admonish anybody. If the Lord leads you, you need to do it. Those all have a special place, and they should be used when the Spirit leads. But your main tool should just be witnessing. Telling people what Jesus has done in your life. Amen. And that is something we just don't do. I think we make it too complex. We make it too hard. If God has blessed you this week, just tell somebody. If the Lord has answered a prayer, tell somebody. If God has moved a mountain in your life, tell somebody. That's witnessing. Now, if the Lord opens the door for evangelism, by golly, give him Jesus. 
If you see them doing something they shouldn't do and the Lord is leading you, rebuke, correct, admonish. Those are all biblical. But a lot of times we just need to witness. Now, how do we witness? Well, if you're still in Acts, look at Acts 1, verse 8. We receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jump back now to Luke 24. Look at verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. How do you witness? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have it. See, Jesus told them in verse 49, I'm going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit. He goes, but you go to Jerusalem and you wait until you get the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you go out and start doing these things. See, to do these things before you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you're walking in your own flesh and wisdom and strength. See, Jesus telling them to go to Jerusalem and wait, that reminds me of like if I have my boys with me and I need to go do something real quick, I'll sit them down and I say, don't you touch anything until I get back. Just sit here. Don't even move, don't breathe, don't do anything until I get back. It's almost like Jesus is saying to the disciples, guys, don't tell anybody about me until you get the Holy Spirit. Wait. Wait. What are they supposed to do? Well, you see, at the beginning of the book of Acts, they did the smart thing. They prayed. They prayed until the Lord gave them the Holy Spirit. And then when they gave them the Holy Spirit, they now had the promise, the power to go do things. See, I see Christians going out trying to change the world for Jesus on their own power, strength, and might. How are they going to do that? I see people trying to save their kids. I see people trying to fix their marriages. I see people trying to fill in the blank on their own power. How are you able to do this? Jesus told the disciples, told the apostles, you go sit and wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then go do these things. So who am I to think that I can run a church, run a marriage, run a family without the Holy Spirit? How arrogant of me to think that I can do it on my own. If you find yourself constantly running into a brick wall with marriage and kids and life and ministry, are you trying to do it on your own? You can't do it unless the Holy Spirit is upon you. And that's a very important word, upon. Because see, the Bible explains the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is with you, in you, and upon you. There's three different things. The Holy Spirit's always with you. Always. That's, he's God. Now, when you get born again and saved, the Holy Spirit now lives in you. Your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. God chooses to live in you. But there's this other step where the Holy Spirit is upon you. Upon you. It reminds us of the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, when they were anointing the priests, we anoint with oil out here. We take a little bit of oil and we'll put it on your head or something. And that oil, the Bible says, represents the Holy Spirit. Represents the promise and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we'll pray for somebody and we'll anoint them. In the Old Testament, the way they anointed, they just took oil and drenched you. Just drenched you. In fact, it says in the book of Psalms that when they uh, anointed Aaron, the oil dripped down off his hair, it was dripping off his beard. He was covered. The Holy Spirit was upon him. See, as Christians, that's what we want. You want to be completely covered in the Holy Spirit. Think of everything the Holy Spirit does. He leads you. He guides you. He empowers you. He gifts you. He does everything. Why would we not want that? But yet you see Christians living a life on their own strength, power, and merit. I can fix this marriage. I can witness to that coworker. I can read and study the Bible on my own. I can lead a ministry. No, you can't. The Holy Spirit needs to be upon you. 
And that's what you see happening here. Jesus promising it in Luke 24. You see the fulfillment happening in the book of Acts or on the day of Pentecost with the baptism of the Holy Spirit being upon them. And they went out and changed the world. So, you want to be a witness for the Lord? Two things. Make sure the Holy Spirit is upon you. Make sure you're stopping and you're saying, it's not me, it's Him. It's not complex. I think we make this issue way too complex. It's reaching a point where you say, I no longer want James leading my life in any way whatsoever. Lord, I want you leading my life in all ways. You empower me. You gift me. You lead me. You guide me. You do everything. And it's all you, and it's not me. I think of what John the Baptist wrote. I must decrease and he must increase. That's the same thing that's got to happen. Lord, I must decrease, you must increase. I don't want you with me, I don't want you in me, I want you upon me. And then I'm going to go be a witness for you and all I say and do. What's witnessing? Just tell people about Jesus. It's amazing how the conversation can go someplace when you treat Jesus just like he is. Your Savior that died on the cross for your sins, he's amazing. And you just want to tell people about Christ. What happens next? Verse 50. He led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, two results from being with Jesus. Number one, they're blessed. Verse 50. He blessed them. Verse 52. He talks about they worshipped Him, and they had great joy. In verse 53, blessing God. Blessing just means happy. So when you're blessed by God, there's a joy there in what the Lord is doing. Two results of being around Jesus, you will be blessed and you will have joy. Now, is that not amazing? It goes back to witnessing. Why would I not want to tell the world that? You want, you want joy and blessing? I can tell you how you can have it. That's what it is. Joy and blessing. When you are around Christ... And you allow the Holy Spirit to be upon you. You will have blessing and joy. It really is a simple thing. Put this whole thing together now. They start out by having trouble and fear. And Jesus says, peace. It's the same thing that he said in Mark when the boat was filling with water. Peace. It's the same thing he said in Matthew 14 when Peter began to sink because he looked at the waves and said, Jesus, he just simply said, peace. That's what he did. What do you see here in Luke 24? Peace. Jesus wants to take all your fear, all your worry, and all your anxiety and replace it with peace. That's what he wants to do. Next thing, he then says, I want you to go be a witness for me. Just tell people, testify about what Jesus has done. Do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. As you do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's you stopping and saying, Lord, I am not capable of doing this. You lead me, you guide me, you direct me, you gift me, you teach me, you do everything. And I will go where you say go. I will stop when you say stop. I will speak when you say speak. And then the Lord will bless you. And as the Lord blesses you, guess what you get out of the whole thing? Verse 52, you get joy. You get a lot of joy. Even though it rains, you get joy. Even though the waves beat against your ship, you get joy. Even though your boat's filling with water, you get joy. Why? Because your boat is not going to sink as long as Jesus is in it with you. Stay with him and you'll be fine. Two final things I want to say and then we're done. Please go to Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 6. Two final things. One is just a simple verse and one is just a quick point on the story and we're done. Mark 6 is the same story about Jesus walking on water. But they add one little detail in here that's important. 
as you go to Mark 6. Because I believe this is what happens. I believe there's some people that are going to be sitting here today, they're going to be listening to this online or on CD, whatever, and they're going to say, I want that peace, I want that joy, I'm asking for it, but I'm not getting it. Why am I not getting it? Well, let's see here what happens. Mark 6, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. Now while he sent the multitude away, and, while, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them, look at that, he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Do you ever feel like that in verse 48? You are tired of rowing. Everything is against you. Everything is against you. Work's against you, life's against you, relationships are against you, everything is against you. Guess what? Verse 48, Jesus sees you. Well, if he sees me, why isn't he doing anything? Verse 48, now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and look at this, and would have passed them by. He would have passed them by. Now, is that not just rude? I mean, here's this Savior that is our Savior... He sees me rowing and straining, fighting the wind, and guess what he's going to do? He's just going to keep walking and walk right past me. Why is he going to walk right past you? Because he will never force himself into your life. If you want to spend the rest of your life rowing against the wind, he will let you. He will let you. It's one of the dumbest things you could do, but he'll let you do it. He'll walk right by. Well, I don't think that's very loving and nice. He should tell me he would help. Guess what I'm doing right now? He'll help you. He sees you. Verse 48. He sees you straining at rowing. He sees the wind against you. He will stop and give you peace. But here's the deal. You have to ask. Well, I ask all the time. Do you really? I'm just, I'm just being honest. Do you really ask? Because there's been times in my Christian life where I have asked, and I'm not really asking. Lord, take this burden from me. But I'm going to keep thinking about it. Lord, I, I want this person to be saved. I, I, my heart breaks for them, so I'm going to do everything in my power. Well, maybe I should give them over to the Lord. See, a lot of times I come up to people and they're struggling with something, and I say, have you prayed about it? Oh, I pray about it all the time. Are you really giving it over to Him? And maybe you are. But I tell you this, if you're really giving it over to Him, the promise is He gives you peace. That's the promise. Just ask yourself, are you really giving it to Him? Because what I envision in verse 48, I see them rowing, I see the wind ripping, I see Jesus walking by. Now here's the catch. Are you willing to let go of the rows, the oars and say, Jesus, help? See, a lot of times I keep rowing, saying, Jesus, help me. Why don't you let go and let him do it? Well, if I stop rowing. No, sometimes you've got to let go in faith. Give that child of yours over to the Lord completely, utterly. Give them. Give that situation at work completely over to the Lord. Give your finances completely over to Him. Give them that physical pain. Give them that upcoming procedure. Give everything completely over to Him. And here's the craziest thing in the world. Let go of the oars. And see what He does. Because if you're going to keep rowing, He's going to say, well, it looks like you got it covered. I'm just going to walk on by. Let go and let Him. Verse 49, And when they saw Him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And look what they did, verse 49, Cried out, for they all saw Him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, and here's our phrase again, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. See, you can row against the wind all you want. I can't make you stop. But why would you want to? Let the Lord take care of it. So if you're really feeling like the Lord is walking on by, and he's not helping you in any way, just let me ask you this. Are you letting him have control of your boat?
See, too often I want to be the captain of my own ship and I want Jesus just to be my fun little first mate. You be Gilligan. You know, it doesn't work out that way. Lord, you are completely in charge. And as you are completely in charge, I let you have it all. Last passage and we're done. 2 Timothy 1.7, please. A lot of you know this passage, but this is a good verse. 2 Timothy 1.7. This is a good refrigerator verse. 2 Timothy 1.7 I encourage you, you will either use this verse this week or I hope you will pass this along to another person. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When you're walking in fear, you're not walking in what the Lord has given you. He does not give you fear. He gives you power through the Holy Spirit. He gives you unconditional love. And He gives you a sound mind leading and guiding and directing through the Spirit on what He wants you to do. When I see somebody walking in fear, they're not walking in faith. It is easy to let fear get the best of you. It is. It is really easy to have those things that are coming up in the future and saying, I'm going to dwell on the what-ifs. No. Dwell on the right here and now. Jesus is in your boat and He wants to help. He wants to take away fear, worry, and anxiety and replace it with peace. That's what He wants to do. And that's what He's here willing to do for you. He's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Marv is going to come forward here for the final song. What we're going to do is this. What I want to finish with today is getting a chance to pray with anybody that wants to pray. I'm going to be up here. Um, if you have anything you want to pray about during the final song, feel free to come up. Maybe you've got something you're struggling with. Maybe there's a trouble, a fear, a worry, or an anxiety. Come up. We'll pray with you. We don't have all the answers, but we'll point you in the right direction. So, I will not be back there to shake your hands. So, Marv's going to close you out with prayer. And as Marv closes you out with prayer, Marv, why don't you go ahead and play, pray for the meal as well, too. So, you guys are dismissed as soon as Marv's done there. Feel free to head back to the potluck. Even if you didn't bring anything, there's plenty of stuff. Stick around, have food, have fellowship, be blessed. And I tell you, this week, walk in peace. Walk in peace of the Lord and what He's done. If there's anything that's heavier on your heart that you want to pray for, I will go ahead and just be right. I'll actually be right over here. I'll be right over to my, the, my right. Feel free to come up and pray in any way whatsoever. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.